You're listening to the Corbett Report. All right, everyone, this is Derek Rose with the Conscious Resistance Network, and I'm excited to be speaking with a friend once again. I think this is probably the fifth, maybe sixth conversation we've had over the years. I lost track, but every time we do speak, James, it's always an interesting uh, interesting thing for me getting to promote my ideas and hear about the things you're working on and today is going to be a mix of that so welcome hello how are you doing uh, thank you very much yes i've lost track too but people can always just type bros into uh the search engine on corporatereport.com and they'll be able to see all of our previous conversations great yes and i got those on my website as well so today we're going to talk about two different things one of them first is i wanted to Pick your brain a little bit deeper about a video you did, I think, last month, just a few weeks ago, called the Bitcoin PSYOP, which I was not only excited about the title as soon as, you know, you choose to put a title like that, that's a little bit provocative, right? And people are going to have their issues about it or their concerns about that. And Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, you know, it continues to be a very, uh, you know, divisive topic, I guess you could say, in the freedom movement, the truth movements. So I was excited to, to see that. And... One of the things that you said here in your opening statement, I just want to read, is that, yes, the blockchain is truly revolutionary. Yes, it is tulip mania 2.0. Yes, cryptocurrency is a nail in the coffin of the bankster parasites. And yes, digital currency is a tool of the totalitarian tyrants. And the fact that those statements are not contradictory. And you take some time to go through and explain why those are not contradictions. Now, some of the important things that I really pulled from this that I hope that the the viewers were taking from this for one, like a very basic education on Bitcoin. This video is not that if you haven't done, you know, if you haven't done some research on that, go to see James's videos or videos I've done that are primers on the topic. But essentially, I think it was important to see that the language that is used, you know, between Bitcoin, blockchain, uh, cryptocurrency, virtual currencies, digital currencies, that these terms are used interchangeably. And, you know, you propose the idea that this is done purposefully, you know, for deceptive reasons. Could you elaborate on that? I absolutely do think so, because the conversation about Bitcoin, as you say, is stuck on stupid in the alt media and truth media, because, again, every single time you bring it up, you have to explain and differentiate and okay well there's bitcoin but that does that's not the same as all cryptocurrency and this is you know this and this and this and it's like you have to start from the absolute basics every single time you bring up the subject and i've noticed that even within my own audience even the members on the Corbett report website every single time they're talking about bitcoin someone will make some grand statement about oh you know Jamie Dimon said this about Bitcoin, therefore cryptocurrency is, wait, what? Hold on. Are we talking about Bitcoin? Are we talking about futures trading on Bitcoin? Are we talking about cryptocurrency itself? Are we talking about blockchain technology? What are we talking about here? And again, people are failing to differentiate. And I think it is, as I say, I think it is part of a PSYOP um, specifically because if you look at uh, the, the, um, the conversation that gets formed is all around Bitcoin. So all of the eggs are in that basket. And that's, of course, that's the gateway gateway crypto, I guess, for people to enter that space. And so it's what's in the news. It's what makes the headlines. It's the number that everyone looks at. What's the value of Bitcoin in US dollars in toilet paper, you know, as if that's <laughs> somehow the, the be all and end all of the valuation of what that idea is. Um, and so everyone has their eggs in that Bitcoin basket, in that Bitcoin space. 
of course they're going to try to co-opt and corrupt and are already doing so Bitcoin into a system that is being controlled and managed and it's going to be more and more so. And eventually, fork, 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 it's going to be Fedcoin. It's going to be called yeah. Bitcoin, but it's going to be Fedcoin. And that's exactly the direction they're steering it. And if everyone only talks about Bitcoin and thinks about Bitcoin and everything to do with crypto is this Bitcoin, then they're missing the bigger picture. And that's very important because what happens with crypto is up to us. It's the way we use it. It's the, the, the technologies that we're interacting with and that we're actually directing now at this point. But very soon in the future, it will be all regulated and brought down into, oh, okay, there's Bitcoin and you can use it if you scan your fingerprint and your iris and you give your blood sample and DNA and do a piss test every time you want to do a withdrawal or whatever it is. And that will be the system. And everyone will just think, oh, that's what cryptocurrency is. It isn't. Yeah. It, that absolutely is not. That's, that's what Bitcoin is going to be angled into. But if we don't differentiate that and start using crypto for what it is supposed to be, or the idea that it was kind of sold to the, the freedom community as pirate money, that's what it mm -hmm. is. That's what it could be. That's what we could be developing right now. But everybody's just going, being herded into the, uh, the pen of Bitcoin and eventually Fedcoin. Yeah, and you know, in your uh, Bitcoin psyop, you show some some parts of Andreas Antonopoulos' talk about uh, you know the origins of Bitcoin and also just how to differentiate between what he's calling you know uh, crypto BS and actual you know disruptive technology between something that's just a database and it's just going to uh, you know re uh, rebrand the old systems, the centralized systems, and take that technology. And you also said something really important there that we are at this point we're the market, the people are driving where this goes. Now we can choose to acquiesce and as you said, just be herded into the Fed coin or the Facebook coin or whatever other um, you know, legacy because these legacy institutions recognize that they're losing power and of course they're gonna try to co opt and try to use it for uh, you know, their own purposes and that's just it should be expected. But that doesn't mean that the technology itself is is useless or should be abandoned. And I've seen a lot of that knee-jerk reaction to some people, even to, you know, there are some interesting articles and information out there. When you look at the uh, NSA's connection to the SHA-256 algorithm, that was, you know, it's like played a role in Bitcoin and how Bitcoin itself, but again, just, you know, Bitcoin. There's also blockchain is really this, you know, unlimited application that can be defined in so many different ways. So there are other cryptos who are already doing it better than Bitcoin ever did. You know, they're more encrypted, they're faster, they have no no fees. Um, you know, we have decentralized autonomous organizations that are like Steemit and others. So the underpinning technology of blockchain, the state, the banksters, they're going to try to use it for their own purposes. They already are. We're seeing them get invested in that. And it is important to recognize that we decide where it goes. So either, because I'll have people say, well, what, you know, they're just going to regulate it or they're going to make it illegal. And my response is something along the lines of, does that mean you're going to listen? I mean, it's just like I people say that and, and I guess they just assume, OK, well, the state's going to say we can't do that. And so everybody's going to stop using it. And yeah, maybe the majority of sort of mom and pop middle America will be scared away because they're saying that North Korea is trying to fund terrorism with Bitcoin or ISIS is wanting to use Bitcoin. But I do think those, you know, agorists, counter uh, economists and sort of. Uh, cypherpunks and crypto anarchists, all these different labels that people have applied to this crowd, this sphere, will continue to use it. And that's another thing that is important. And I'm not sure if you've noticed this as well, that 
people who are outside of the crypto sphere, this crypto uh, ecosystem, and I consider myself to have at least a foot in there, you know, speaking at different conferences and working with people who are much more knowledgeable than I on the tech side, I'm more the guy who goes out and shows that it can be used in the real world and try to live it as, you know, as a, a practical application. But when you're involved in that sphere, I mean, it's just so astounding the amount of people who are coming up with new technologies and using blockchain and they're doing it with a specific purpose to disrupt the system. So I don't think if you're from if you're looking from the outside in, you might not really have the perspective to understand, you know, that there are people who have the intelligence, they have the funding and they have the ability to create systems and you know whether it's cryptocurrency or decentralized social media systems and all the different ways we're seeing blockchain just now. Like we're at the yeah. very beginning yeah. to be applied. I, they have no intention of complying with the government. Exactly right. And can I add on to that? Because again, most people don't see this from the outside perspective, but I, I see it working with other people in the alt media. I know that crypto is enabling things, uh, people to 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 do things that they wouldn't be able to do without it. Um, for example, I know that myself and others uh, are using crypto to fund, uh, you know, sending a journalist off to here to interview that person or, or doing this or that or things that, again, with the, you know, the old fiat money system wouldn't be possible, but you're raising money on Steemit, you know, through crypto and being able to fund, you know, oh, I need someone to do this, so I'll pay them with crypto. I know that is happening. I've seen it happening Absolutely. in the alt media space that, again, most people from the outside, maybe they don't see and they don't know this is being enabled now. And as you say, the uh, again, yeah, OK, it's all it was all invented by the NSA or whatever. But uh, who knows? Who knows who Satoshi Nakamoto is and all of that? But the uh, the point is, the people who were originally drawn to this tended to be the people in the in the freedom space, in the liberty movement or whatever you want to call it. And these are the people who often were the first adopters and are now the, you know, the Bitcoin billionaires, so to speak. And they're the ones who are being enabled through this to start using this influence and power and money in, in ways. Okay, well, we'll start funding the things that we want. So again, again, it's so much about this is the point I want to drive home to people. It's about what we do with this. It's what we are shaping right now. You are choosing Okay, I'm going to keep using my filthy fiat t toilet paper because, because, because why? <laughs> because it's easy, I guess. And because it's legal yeah. and, oh, Uncle Sam, you know, will accept these, these pieces of toilet paper for my taxes. So I guess it makes them valuable. Um, but wait, hold on. So we're not going to look at this space at all simply because why? Because, oh, because they put this label on it and they put it all into one basket and they're trying to make you... They're basically trying to demonize an entire sphere of of possible human activity, an entire unexplored frontier uh, that uh, they just want to herd people into back into the system. And it's unfortunately it's working to a large extent so far. Yeah, there's definitely been into throughout 2017. And I mean, it's already in 2018 that there's been lots of propaganda towards, you know, what exactly crypto is. And as I said earlier about scaring people because of terrorism connections. And, you know, I do have and, I, and I'd love to get your opinion on this. I do have I don't want to say fear, but some concern. And as I mentioned, I do think that the general public, the, the masses who, for lack of a better term, the sheeple, the zombies, whatever unfavorable terms people want to cast at them who generally just go along with what they're told to do, that if they are scared away from, you know, crypto in general, not just Bitcoin, but the idea of cryptocurrency and only the idea of, oh, well, blockchain is cool, but it's only good when it's in the hands of government, it's regulated and you know, safe because otherwise it, it, you know, it could be bad, et cetera, et cetera. That those people, let's imagine that all this new influx of interest in cryptocurrency beyond Bitcoin, but just the foundation of it. And then 
of course, into blockchain, those people end up being scared away and they go back to fiat dollars or to Fed coin or whatever it may be. And then the uh, cryptocurrency ecosystem shrinks back to being simply the, you know, the, the niche uh, crypto nerds and the, those crypto anarchists and agorists who are voluntarily and consciously choosing to opt out. Um, you know, how that could affect the value of it and our ability to trade, because obviously if we're reduced back to just trading amongst ourselves and it kind of defeats the purpose of being able to use it in real world practical applications. But your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, you know, I would actually almost prefer that, you know, if the <laughs> Fed and everyone, all the all the hype got out and it was just the people who actually wanted to use it for what it's for, then yeah, sure. it would definitely be a smaller space, less useful overall. But at any rate, you could use it in the way you want and grow that 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 section of human activity so that other people can look in and go hey well here's something that's functioning and and bring it in that way but unfortunately of course it's the hype bubble right now which generates all the 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 craziness and stupidity and is obviously part i think of the psyop again make it the big hype bubble so that you can burst the bubble and say look yeah because it was unregulated people lost their life savings in this crypto it's which is why i never have never would ever in, say, oh, you should be investing in crypto. It's going to, yeah, it's going to earn you more fiat ta toilet paper in the future. Yay, guys. No, I never, ever, ever put in those terms. It's about pirate money. It's about can we exchange with each other instantaneously around the world for next to nothing? Can we do that? Is that possible? Can we create this entire uh, monetary system that has nothing to do with the central banks? And can we do Absolutely. that? And, and, I, and I think it's still very much, look, I'm, I'm it's still very much an open question. You know, can we can we really have the un unhackable system and all that? It's still, I, I think, you know, uh, still a long way off to creating that monetary system in its totality. But the point is, I think we should be trying for that. I think we have to be striving for that rather than just falling back into the, the old space. So, yeah, I think you're right. Um, it's very possible that it could the hype bubble goes away it gets burst and it goes back to just the the agorists and the people who understand what this is for using it which again i think isn't necessarily a bad thing the other possibility is an uber like thing if uber had come along or lyft or whatever these these types of operations came along and said well dear mayor i would like to propose that we create an alternative taxi service and uh we'll undermine the taxi cab companies and blah 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 here's my proposal of course what's the mayor gonna do no get the hell out of here mm -hmm. you know i need that money from those corporations they're they're greasing my palms so what do you do you just create it and people use it and people say wow this is amazing it's cheap it's convenient it's easy i can wow i like this and it becomes an established thing and then retro then they have to go and start banning it and get people get outraged or it, it's unbannable because people are using it too much so they have to try to fold it back into the system i think that's that's maybe the the best model for how to grow something just do it and show it yeah. can be done and when people see it and experience it and actually use it i mean that's one of the things that obviously is the gigantic gulf between the crypto space and the regular the regular people of the world is the, the the it's so technically minded and there isn't the fast easy convenient user interface kind of culture yet in the crypto space to a large extent it still requires a bit of knowledge and understanding and uh, and research so how do i what so i have a wallet how do i set up my wallet okay i need yeah. my private key how do i secure that blah 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 it's still very complicated so i realize this is not going to be you know used by billions of people overnight but you know, people are working on it. There are some innovative ideas yeah. coming around right now. Texting uh, BCH around the world instantaneously via text. Yeah, you don't even need that. the internet. <laughs> it's things like this. It's crazy.
Yeah, no, and I, I really uh, appreciate that, you know, the reemphasis that where this, where, what the technology becomes is based on how we show that it can be used, right? Because I do think the emphasis should be on practical use. Yes, there are opportunities for gains. Like, you know, I, I run into these people again who are just promoting crypto as investment, like it's an investment opportunity, it's investment. Sort of a, a flag goes off my head every time I hear somebody emphasizing that because I'm like, okay, either they don't get the crypto disruptive aspect or for whatever reason they're choosing to only focus on the money side of things, which to me it means that they either don't get it or they're not really interested in the true power of this technology. But yes, I mean, I, I've because of Steemit, I've been able to fund my journalism and fund um, opportunities to to do better uh, activism and to reach more people and to do these great things. And can that's I a good can thing. I hold on? Can I toot your horn? Because sure. I know you did a, a thing where you did uh, you took some of the money you raised on Steemit and did some donations with that. Can you talk about that concept? Sure, sure. Yeah. So when I joined Steemit originally, August 2016, it was. I mean, obviously, I believe in the technology, blockchain-based, reward-based, decentralized. I was like, yes, this is awesome. But I, as you were saying just a moment ago, the tech side of it was a little bit like, okay, this is a little bit too much work that I have time for. I'm already getting paid for writing for activist posts and elsewhere. So I wasn't really in that much of a need for it. So when I created the account, I basically said that any money that I made, uh, half of the earnings, whenever we cashed out, like on a monthly or however often basis, that that would go towards different charities. Of course, that means non-governmental organizations, people that don't take money from government or, you know, shady corporations, banks and things of that sort. And that Steemit, the Steemit community could help me uh, help, you know, disperse those funds. So I started that last year, but, but then after a couple months, tapered off. And just recently in this November of 2017, a buddy of mine who's very savvy on Steemit, he's now taken over my account and has helped me kind of get, get going with it. And I've started to promote it a lot more. And because of that, I'm getting more response. So we've been able to make a good amount of money. And yeah, we've made... Since November, probably you know somewhere to three to four thousand dollars, and taken about half of that. We gave eight hundred dollars to an organization that focuses on um, aftercare for survivors of human trafficking here in Houston, and given some money to Food Not Bombs, who feeds the homeless downtown in Houston. Uh, we're trying to work on doing a food forest, just building a bunch, planting a bunch of fruit trees around different parts of Houston, and it's coming from the crypto that we're making to via Steemit via these decentralized platforms, you know. And I definitely, yeah, I've been doing my part to emphasize people. To go that direction um i have you know my personal promise i guess my if i have any sort of a, a new year's resolution it's that by the end of this year i'm going to be off of youtube and facebook and i just not to put all my eggs in the steam it blockchain per, per se but just because these platforms not only are they censoring us but they're just becoming less and less useful for me i didn't get on there to follow people and to watch cat videos and do all sort of things that you know they're trying to encourage like they say facebook is saying their new algorithm is going to you know help you see your family and friends more it's like that's not why i got on facebook thanks for trying to help me out facebook but that's not why i did that and i think we ultimately know it's about limiting the reach of independent alternative media and i mean admitting pages like the anti-media and the mind unleashed these pages have four million followers nine million followers and you're posting something and you're getting 10 likes or 10 interactions on it. It's just such a massive drastic fall off that, as you were saying, people are able to now pay themselves with Steemit because there are independent outlets that have been doing this seven, eight, 10 years who I've talked to certain journalists who are saying like, I might have to go back to a day job. I might have to do this because the old ad-based revenue model that is based on people clicking via Facebook, going back to the website, seeing the ads, that's dying, you know, and it's it's a good thing though. And with any transition though, there's gonna be some difficulties and some bumps in the roads, but I think that now Steemit is at least one of the answers and there's all the anti-media team and lots of other journalists I know are, are joining and uh, as well as the outlets themselves are joining. And, you know, it's, um, it, I think even just 
Bloomberg or Forbes or somebody did a, an article just this past week about Steemit actually talking about it. So it's starting to get noticed. And, you know, that, that should mean that what I expect is that the Facebook coin will come out soon. They'll try to get in on the crypto wave and, and keep people in that staying in that centralized system. But, yeah, I do use the platform to get out my ideas, but to use that that abundance because it definitely has been abundance. I'm thankful that the Steemit community has been rewarding and supportive and that I can fund what I love to do and that I did for several years being very broke because it's all I really care about. And as you know and other people know who are in this, um, but it's also nice to – elevate our living standard and, and um, create, as you were saying, when we elevate ourselves, we can fund the projects that we want to support. We can fund the people we want to support. We can support our communities. And so, you know, the the idea that crypto itself could create some sort of new, I don't want to say economic class, but definitely elevate a certain amount of people's living standard to the point that they can then create and fund new innovation and on and on and spur new things. And many of those people, as we've emphasized here, are in that space to disrupt the current systems. And as long as we remember that, then I think there's no reason to be afraid of the crypto revolution because I, I feel like there's still a lot of people who are stuck in that fear thing. And anytime any, anything new comes along, they just can't believe that the New World Order or the Illuminati, whatever the powers that be, could possibly not already be in control of it. You right. know? So well, they're just so and, ready. And to let me that. say, I'm not telling anyone to put that switch their critical thinking faculty off. I'm not saying no. don't be, you know, don't be sure. suspect and don't don't look at things critically. But I'm just saying this is something that we can start shaping or we can just say, but, you know, ah, screw that. I'm going back to my toilet paper. You know, it's. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess that's pretty much. Uh, well, one more question I want to ask you, James, before we move on. Do you hold any, or you uh, uh, support any other alt currencies beyond Bitcoin? Oh uh, yeah, I have uh, Bitcoin Are Cash. Those I are favorite Dash, tiers. I have uh, Litecoin. I think I have some Monero. I don't even know what I have. I've, I've diversified a bit into some other yeah. coins and I'm happy to, if, cause I sometimes get that email from people. Oh, why don't you have a dash coin or some a dash wallet or something? I'm like, well, I do actually. So if anyone has any, you know, particular crypto they want to work with and just let me know and I'll, uh, I'll give you an address if you want to help uh, support my work that way. Yeah. I'll throw it to your way that I'm, this is not an endorsement per se, just two that I've heard about recently that I think are interesting. One's called uh, Zencoin mm -hmm. and then the other is Smart Cash that um, as far as my research, what I've seen with Smart Cash and, and these two, they work similar to Dash as far as their decentralized autonomous organization, blockchain based, but a lot more decentralized than Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash and the sort of first uh, cryptos. And they also ha are built on this system that allows for, you know, this proposal. Like Ben Swan recently bringing back his reality check via Dash. He submitted a proposal to the community and they have a monthly treasury and they allocate those funds to go towards projects. So Smart Cash works in a similar way that I've seen, but they're even more focused on the community aspect. And, you know, there's some, some security measures that seem to be pretty interesting. But, yeah, there's a lot of interesting, exciting coins that people are always telling me about all kinds that you know I've never heard of, but we'll see w which ones last, which ones stick around. And I really do think emphasizing that the blockchain and what the, what the potential that it has to be that we're already seeing social media, music, uh, you know, Arab, there's now a blockchain-based alternative to Airbnb. There's gonna, I mean, we're just going to see so much creation. Yeah. It's exciting. Time. Final point on the cryptos before we move on. I just want to say to any developers in the crowd. You need to be working on this. This is potential. Again, we're shaping it right now and we need developers on the good side, people on the good yeah. side to be working on this because it is extremely important. If we seed the field to the, the big boys, the Jamie Diamonds or whoever's throwing sloshing money around, oh, you know, we'll buy out this, this uh, exchange or we'll buy out this development team. 
then it's game over. Because again, they'll yeah. be able to make it FedCoin or make it BankCoin or whatever. We need developers on the good side to be working on these technologies. Absolutely. All right. So, James, uh, you got a chance to briefly look, I think, at my my new book project. Well, very briefly, briefly, briefly. But let's let's set it up for people. As you might remember from our last conversation, and if you don't, again, please look in my archives or Derek's archives for the uh, last conversation. You mentioned you were working on a holistic self-assessment, talking about holistic anarchism was the topic of our last conversation. So here's a self-assessment you've uh, come up with, and I've just got it hot off the digital press, just opening it for the first time now. So uh, Derek, tell me what it is I'm looking at here. Sure. So yeah, you mentioned that we, we, I was working on this idea, I guess we talked after or about the time I was wrapping up my last, my tour last year, uh, which was the Decentralize Your Life tour. And that was based on promoting my last book with John Vibes that we did a really extensive, awesome conversation that's all about agorism, counter-economics, and it's called The Manifesto of the Free Humans. So from that work, some of the passages in there reference the need for, um, I think it actually was written something like uh, for like holistic self-reflection or something like that. And as I was rereading the book on the tour, I realized that I didn't, I didn't think we adequately explained what that meant exactly. You know, to me, I read it, I'm like, okay, yes, people need to take a self-assessment of who they are and, and uh, that'll lead to new growth. But obviously that could be sort of vague to some people. So I just started working on it. And as the tour evolved, I was working this into my talks and discussion because I think it really underpins the, um, the crux of what we're trying to do. You know, we're talking about crypto, we talked about agorism and counter economics and all these ideas that I believe are valuable and helpful and we're seeing them help humanity progress and move forward but i do think that underlying most of the problems that we have even with the some of the most evil people on this planet that we might refer to them as that henry kissinger rockefeller and others i think there's a need for a deep need for healing and self-reflection and there's a lot of trauma that you know you could say on the epigenetic level is maybe imprinted into our species or you know there's a lot of different theories on that but overall i think that we won't really be able to create this Gore's paradise or some voluntary world free progression without doing self-reflection and, and working on our, our own individual traumas and, and our idiosyncrasies and things of that sort. So the holistic self-assessment is is what what is I've created now. It's a very short 33-page book, um, 10 chapters, and it covers psychology. It covers a few different topics, but it doesn't ever really get too too deep into one specific topic. I'm not trying to you know weigh the book down, but also trying to make it informative, not make it uh, drive people away. So it's not full of what some might refer to as woo woo type stuff. You know, it's all like factual, but also coming from an emotionally compassionate place. Um, and the other thing is, it doesn't mention the word libertarianism one single time or anarchism. Um, it briefly mentions activism and politics, but only in passing because it's not meant for that audience. You know, this is not really meant for. It's meant for, of course, the Corbett Report audience because I think you have a very uh, broad uh, scope of people that come to you for information, as do I. But it's not meant specifically to, for the people who are activists already or interested in anarchism or volunteerism or gorism, like my first three books were, you know, they were more focused on people who are already on that path towards spirituality and, and uh, political philosophy and that sort. This is meant for all of our friends and family members and people that we know who say that they are struggling right now. They feel like they're in a place where they're not going to reach their goals or, uh, you know, a friend I talked to earlier on the phone that's for the hundredth time reevaluating her life and figuring out which direction she wants to go or the friend that's saying like, oh, I'm just dealing with life. You know, it's, it's just the average person that is trying to get to know themselves on a deeper level. Maybe somebody who's struggling with actually achieving their goals. 
and um, living up to their ideal self. You know, it's it's interested in self-actualization if such a concept truly exists. And what I mean by that is trying to align our our personal view, what is known as our ideal self inside of our, our head and the person that we project out into the world via conversations, via social media, via, you know, all other, other forms of interaction with people outside of ourselves. So that's the basic of it. You know, it's a self-empowerment book, self-help book, but it's also at the same time, though it's not explicitly meant for anarchists or activists, I do hope that by the end of this book, people will be um, a lot closer to being anarchists or an activist, even if they don't think of themselves in that terms. And um, if you look at the, the chapters, you can see that it's they're very simple. Like the first one is becoming self-aware. And that starts out with that, a really basic but I think fundamental question of who am I and trying to look at what, is, what do those words even mean? How do we define who am and I? That, what does that phrase mean? And getting, allowing people to, to take some time to think about it. The book is meant to be like a, a workbook. So it's only in digital form right now because because the opportunity to reach a wider audience is keeping me from self-publishing this time, at least for the moment. I'm going to just hold off and be a little patient. I started to reach out to different publishers, mainly because I want mass distribution. I think that this book could go to a mainstream audience, and everyone I shared it with has found it to be helpful, and uh, I already have at least one nonprofit who wants to incorporate it to, with their employees and try to see how they can you know, build better relationships in their institution by having everybody work on this. Um, so it's meant to be a workbook, a guidebook that in physical form, people will be able to write in and take time you know, to reflect on it. Though it's a short volume, it's definitely something that you want to marinate on and spend a few days on each chapter. And as I say in the book, that it's also, it's a tool that, you know, what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. So if you're not quite ready to be honest with yourself about, you know, this self-examination and uh, reflection process, then you probably won't experience the uh, amount of growth that you truly could. If you, you know, when you're ready and willing to be honest with yourself about maybe some uh, different attributes of yourself that you're not comfortable with or that you don't like or that you don't want to confront. So it starts out with that. Just who am I? What does that mean? Do you have a, a view of yourself based on uh, external factors? For example, some people, when they start to describe who they are, they it's very dependent on the money they have or don't have. You know, it's the relationships they have or don't have. It's their job. It's these various labels, but it doesn't really get at the, the root of who they are as a person. And so the book is, the first chapter is aimed at that, getting you to answer these certain questions. And each chapter ends with simple exercises, a couple of questions. Some of them are, uh, you know, just like write down this, meditate on this, different things that are very easy and simple to digest. And as I said, maybe taking a, a couple of days, each chapter to reflect on would probably be ideal. And the goal, though, is after you get to know yourself, then we start walking people through principles. What does a principle even mean? I think we're very well aware that most people don't know what that word means, even though they hear it maybe on a fairly uh, regular basis, if they do at all. Um, you know, in political discourse, there's never mention of, of principles. It's never about principles. It's about you know, pundits and uh, punchlines and, you know, win the election. Yeah, exactly. It's never about like who is more principled. It's about, well, they're slightly better than the other guy, you know, it's, it's, so it's just, so I don't know that the average person really has these kind of deep intellectual thoughts unless they are prone to that, you know, so let's say somebody has never been confronted with, okay, yeah, I think I've heard that word principles, but I've ever stopped and really thought about what that means and let alone what my principles are, what guides me. And I find that most people haven't. And so when they stop and look at their decisions and their actions and choices, they see that, well, I'm all over the place. Like, you know, I have these various 
imaginings of who I am and what I want to achieve in the world. But then I'm kind of just like here. And, and then, you know, they're like the friends, like I said, are just like, I'm not sure how, I'm, why I'm not moving forward. I'm never getting close to the goals I have. You know, I have all this ambition, this drive and this hope, but I, I'm not able to achieve that. So, you know, getting them to look at the principles. And then I outlined some of the principles that are important to me. And this is where the anarchist libertarian voluntarist message comes in. Again, though, but without labeling it in that form, I talk about, instead of talking about the non-aggression principle, I talk about the golden rule, the principle of the golden rule, which is what we've all heard since we were little. And it's in every major uh, spiritual tradition, you know, the idea of being treated the way you want to be treated. And then applying with that the concept of self-ownership, the principle of self-ownership that we own ourselves. And I think putting those two together, that alone is the non-aggression principle. I don't need to come out and say, by the way, this is a libertarian principle founded by this man and you need to ascribe to this school of thought. It's just, can I create more people who understand those basic guidelines and can we help them get the importance of that? And then we talk about the seventh generation principle, which is more coming from indigenous communities that I think would also be monumental to see people adopt the idea that we think about more than just what's right in front of us, but we think about the impact of our actions in the seven generations ahead. So you put that together, golden rule of self-ownership, seven generations. That's where I sort of start the conversation and, and of course leave it at like you might discover there are more principles important to you, but if we could all at least start here, perhaps we'd see some massive change. And from there, looking at their goals and habits and on and on and on. And the goal is to identify inconsistencies. That's the main thing is to help them see, wow, look, I have this stated principle of what I want to do. I want to change the world. I want to be an eco warrior. I have this and I have these goals of being sustainable and leaving the world a better place and this and that. But then my habits don't align and my actions aren't aligning and my relationships don't align and I'm all over the place. And how can I come to terms with that? And what can I do about that? Well, just glancing through this, um, I see it's not in the checklist form or question and answer form. I mean, it is organized in chapters, but it's fairly, I mean, it's not a lengthy book by any means, 35 pages or so. So it's certainly readable um, in, in, in chunks. I mean, how do you envision people doing this a little bit each day? Yeah, so I've actually, the interesting thing about this is it's it's kind of the process that I took. We've talked about this before. It's sort of the process that I've took myself through when I went to prison and when I started my own path of self-reflection. Um, again, like taking the time to journal and get to know myself on a deeper level, these sort of things. I include a lot of these various exercises. And so I've been taking it. This is mine right here. I've been taking my own self-assessment. Obviously, I wrote the thing, but writing it is different than stopping and taking yourself through it. So... Uh, since it's been like finalized from my head to digital paper and edited up and then now out, I've been working on that. And um, the way I've, I see it is, you know, you're looking at the first the first chapter and it says, question, who am I? Right. So you start to read it and there's different questions that are posed throughout that. And I would I think it would be beneficial for an individual to pause with each of those questions, maybe reflect on them, write them down, write down some brief answers. So the questions are coming through the chapters, but then at the very end, when you get to the end of each chapter, it says exercise in bold. And then there's more specific instructions on what, you know, how to sort of get the most out of that particular step, like how to, um, you know, again, the first question is, you know, who, who am I? So what attributes and characteristics do you associate with yourself? Are these positive or negative? And, you know, that can be a very, you can breeze through, you can breeze through this very easy if you choose to, but I think that it is best to take a couple of days for each step and write down the answers to that. Maybe the next day, come back to the questions again, think about them, really do spend some time because we all have busy lives and, and these sort of things, unless you do go into this with intention that the answers aren't just going to come to you. Uh, it's not just yeah. about like, okay, you read the question one time and then like everything is going to flow into you. I do think it is important whether you're talking about meditation in the forms of actually sitting down and meditating in lotus position or just taking some quiet reflection time at your 
favorite chair or coming and sitting out in the, outside somewhere in nature and just thinking about these questions with your pen and pad and just letting the answers. And again, being willing to be honest with yourself because it's the healing process, the growing process is not, and I would say probably rarely ever a pretty thing. And that's why most people run from it because yeah. it's difficult to be like, wow, like I, I am like inconsistent and I've had to face my own inconsistencies while writing this and really seeing like, okay, I want to strive to be these things. And, and one of the ideas, let's see if I can pull it up real quick, that we mentioned in the book is um, coming from one of these uh, psychologists that I mentioned. But essentially the idea he talks about is that each person has a, uh, you know, the ideal self is the something that we have that we project onto the stage, right? But he said we also have this backstage that is where we ready ourselves and kind of develop our character and get prepared to go out into public or to, you know, to be around other people. And he talks about how different relationships and communication is kind of like a battle between people to project, you know, various images that we, that we want to uphold. And so I really think that's, that's valuable. And I think at the same time, that's totally your right to do that. We don't all know, we don't necessarily owe each other to be completely 100% honest from the moment we meet people, you know, we reserve the right to reveal ourselves at will. I believe, you know, it doesn't mean be dishonest to people, those sort of things, but you don't need to spill all your secrets the first time you meet somebody. So you reserve that right to um, hold some things back and that's okay. You know, so you keep some of the stuff backstage, but more often than not, we find that we're actually projecting something different than what we really are. We're projecting what we hope to be. And social media has amplified mm -hmm. that where it's even, it's even easier now yeah. to project this image of how you want to be and, you know, get, make sure you get the perfect selfie of that perfect right, moment yeah. that you want people to, to remember and all these kind of things. And yeah, you see, it, this is the thing. When you talk about the question of who am I, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, I would have understood that. Yes, we have the kind of the, the public self and the private self and how do those mix and things like that. I would have understood on the philosophical sense. But these days, I mean, it's especially important now that people are starting to enter the cyberspace realm as these personas and mm -hmm. more and more the question of who i am is more about well what kind of persona do i want to shape in the so that people are actually not just projecting but i think they're actually changing themselves maybe without even realizing it to be a certain type of persona that they can project uh, to the world so i think it's actually starting to affect the core of who people are um, the social media is shaping us into these types of people that will do these types of things. And that's, that's certainly dangerous if people are not conscious and self-reflective about that process, because you will lose who you Absolutely. are or who you want to be or who you could be in that process if you're not careful about it. So I think at this precise moment in history, this is exceptionally important for people to be doing right now. Stepping back and really thinking about who you are and what you want to do and doing it intentionally, consciously, with purpose, rather than just kind of, oh, just going into the cyberspace and becoming that persona. Absolutely. And I want to say this because I know I've said it on the past interviews, but for those who haven't heard them yet, uh, please do go back and hear the one holistic anarchism. But, you know, the definition of holistic is important. Obviously, words matter and um, we define each of those in the book. So I call it a holistic self-assessment. I think we already can understand what you know it means to assess, one, assess oneself. Holistic, though, it's coming from the philosophy of holism, which is focused on looking at whole systems rather than breaking them down into individual parts and only focusing on that macro level. So holistic uh, medicine focuses on the whole body, looking for the root of an illness as opposed to just treating the symptom. Uh, holistic ecology studies the planet and humanity as one object. There's holistic psychology and all kinds of different areas. So when I talk about this holistic self-assessment, it's, you know, we look at the principles, we look at goals, we look at habits, then we look at relationships. And 
we're able to sort of map out or help an individual map out and see these different things. So you start to identify your goals and you, where do you want to be in the next month, six months, year, five years. And, and again, this is something that I did while I was locked up because up to that point, I'd been living such a um, just the sort of in, inverted, perverted uh, in the moment, you know, in the now kind of thing, not really in the sort of like, oh, I'm balanced in the moment, like more just like oh, live for whatever because there's no tomorrow kind of thing, you know, so it's more destructive than uh, creative type of energy. And so I never really stopped to ask myself these questions and to ask, well, what do I, where do I want to be in a year? Where do I want to be in, like, you know, five years or whatever? And um, I'm a spontaneous person, but I also know that it's it's helpful for me to be to have a vision of where I want to go, you know, to how to direct this energy that I have. And I think it's like that with a lot of people. They have a lot of ideas, but it can be all over the place. And, and this is a way to help direct your focus, looking at your principles, your goals and, and outlining them and then looking at your habits. And then from the habits, you're able to stop and say, well, my habits are not lining up with my stated goals and my principles. In fact, my habits are the exact opposite. And if I continue these habits, I will not achieve these goals. Like there's a very simple way to just, you can see that in very clear trajectory. And from there, it's up to the individual to decide, okay, I want to start making adequate changes. I, maybe I need to change some of my relationships. Maybe I need to change some of my personal actions. Maybe it's my personal view of myself or, you know, this negative view of I have of myself that's holding me back and then start to look at those things and, um, work on various exercises, being able to, to communicate those things with oneself as well as other people when possible to, to uh, repair damaged relationships when possible, to um, let go of things that maybe you've been holding on to that are holding you back. And for me, you know, this isn't talking about the banksters or, you know, whether we're going to go to war with North Korea or Syria or any of the other issues that are absolutely important. But this brings it back for me back to the level of where people can have very real tangible power because a lot of times those big issues other than spreading information, I mean, they're out of our hands. Very true. All right. How can people get this holistic self-assessment? The self-assessment is available to download for free at theconsciousresistance.com slash books, as are all my other books. Um, and as you said, James, it's 33 short pages. I recommend getting like a fresh notebook to just write in as you read along with it. Or, you know, I, I don't know if you want to print it all out, but I do hope to get a publisher in the next couple months that can get this more of a mainstream audience. And in the meantime, you can help by sharing it with any friends of yours that you think might benefit from this. Um, my goal is just to help elevate our friends and family and the people that we need to see the value in themselves. Because in my past, I was unable to see the value of myself. And before I could see the value of myself, I couldn't care about the world or care about the issues that I do now. And I believe if we help each other and help build and repair some of the trauma that we we're all dealing with in different ways that expresses itself in different ways, then we're going to be much in a much better situation, much more likely to adopt decentralized systems and to grow out of the past and, and these um, archaic systems that we've been handed. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to working through this myself, and I certainly hope that the uh, corporate board audience will join me in that endeavor. Before we go, I uh, want to bring up uh, recently on the corporate report uh, uh, in the corporate report community. Corporate Report member Home Remedy Supply, who's a valuable member of that community and a good contributor, brought up the point, uh, Fluoride News, superb, extremely well-written article, a big man-hug to Derek Bros for his article, <laughs> court decision could lead to EPA banning water fluoridation. So for the benefit of Home Remedy Supply and the people in the audience who might not have heard about that article, can you just tell us what that's about? Yeah, thank you for the awesome compliment. It's cool to know that uh, some people in your audience pick up on my work as well. Um, so I, fluoride is definitely one of the first topics I woke up to in 2010, 20, you know, health stuff. I've been following it a long time, and this article is just something that I randomly came across. It's 
It's interesting and important if you're out there trying to be an activist, journalist, researcher to follow court cases because there's so much out there buried and a lot of court cases that nothing happens, right? But there's tons of interesting tidbits and documents and things that can come out of those. Uh, and this is just one of those cases where uh, Food and Water Watch and several other organizations, a coalition of food and water activists are attempting to, well, they actually have filed a lawsuit against the EPA um, saying that fluoride should be banned under the Toxic Substances Act, I think it has a more full name, but it's this law that essentially the EPA is supposed to regulate or ban certain substances if they've been shown to be harmful to people. And, you know, with the fluoride battle, there's people all over the U.S. who are fighting local battles. We've tried here in Houston, and, you know, Houston's a major city. They have $4 million invested in these contracts. There's a lot of money behind keeping fluoride in the water. So people have tried all kinds of different avenues. This is just a new avenue. They got a coalition of organizations. They tried to file a citizen petition to the EPA proposing that they should rethink the banning of fluoride because of study, study, study after study showing how it's harmful in a number of ways. Plus, they're taking away people's choice to self-medicate. And I mean, it's forced. So it's, it's all these negative things, right? Uh, the EPA denied that application, the petition, and then the organization Food and Water Watch, they filed a lawsuit basically saying that the EPA has to consider it. And so the EPA tried to wiggle their way out of it under some kind of uh, legalese argument, you know, basically saying like, oh, no, according to the law, we only have to – what the Food and Water Watch basically did is they presented a whole bunch of studies and said this is why we think the EPA should um, – to ban it. And so the judge was going to consider all the information. The EPA is like, hold on, wait, wait, no, you should only consider the information that we considered when we made our decision. You shouldn't look at anything else extra. Don't look at all these other studies or anything. Just only look at the stuff that we used. And so this article was about the latest decision where the judge overruled the EPA. So it's a small move in, in a court case. And I know sometimes those can be a little bit uh, you know, thick to kind of digest, but yeah. it's there's still a ways to, wait, to go with this. This was just one Small yeah, but this overall. is a good example of we we help to shape the course of these types of events. If your reaction to a story like this is just to shrug and go, oh, the courts are rigged and nothing's going to happen, then, uh, yeah, nothing will happen. But if people bring attention to this and make this an issue and put this in front of people's face and make this the, the yeah. big issue everyone needs to talk about all the time instead of school shootings or whatever, can you imagine yeah. the way that the, the discourse could be shaped and we could have a revolution in consciousness on the fluoride issue? Again, we are making this, these decisions. We are the media now. We can do Absolutely. it. We can shape the conversation. So if you're just going to shrug your shoulders and go, it's, uh, it's all rigged, let's not try, then yeah, nothing's ever going to change. But we can exactly. actually make a change. Absolutely. And yeah, I appreciate that again for those who are paying attention to that because um, as you well know, James, doing videos on these topics and writing articles, sometimes I'll write an article and then I'll go do another video and by the end of it I'm just like, oh my God, is anybody, here's the latest thing of this, here's the latest thing of this, this update. But I do think it is necessary for us to keep up with what's going on because as you said, if we don't spread the information, then that's just one little blip and they're like, okay, nobody's paying attention. We can smash this court case down and they're not even going to notice it's going on. But if we put some eyes on it, we put some time and some light on certain topics, then it makes it a bit more difficult for the power to just dismiss them out of hand. That's so true. And that's a big part of what I'm doing and why I don't just chase the tail of every story the MSM is throwing at us. Um, I think it's important Absolutely. for us to help direct the conversation as well. I know you do that with your work at Activist Post and at uh, Conscious Resistance and on Steemit and everywhere else. So I will put, of course, all those links in the show notes so people can find your work and the holistic self-assessment so people can start 
taking some time to reflect on themselves and who they are. Extremely important in this day and age, in this social media saturated day and age. Who are you and what are you doing and why are you doing it? <laughs> Extremely important Absolutely. questions. All right, well, Derek, awesome stuff. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And yeah, thank you, everybody who's listening from my audience. We're sort of doing a collaboration here. So uh, if for some odd reason you have not heard of James Corbett and the Corbett Report yet, please do go subscribe and follow him on all his channels. I would recommend the Steema and some of the decentralized platforms. And if you know if you haven't heard yet, he's not on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I'll continue to drive that point home for people. All right, Derek, thank you so much. All right, thanks.